Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay, so um, please open your Bibles with me at Second Thessalonians, whether you have a, a hard copy or whether you um, have it on your phone. I'm going to be reaching, reading from the NIV, the New International Version. Um, Some jokingly call it the nearly infallible version. <laughs> no Bible translation is perfect. There's, there's obviously there's some meaning that you inevitably lose because you know languages aren't directly corresponding. So unfortunately, you lose a little bit of meaning in translation inevitably. So no translation is perfect, but uh, we're very blessed that we have a lot of very good translations to choose from um, as modern people. So I'm going to, um, in a little while, I'm going to be reading Second Thessalonians chapter 1 uh, with you. Um, <clears throat> if, I, if I had to ask, in fact, let me ask, who of you would like to, try to pray better or pray more? Put up your hand. I mean, you, you can ask that without fail. You can ask that to almost any Christian and they'll, you know, no Christian says that they pray not enough or well enough. All of us want to pray better. Uh, that's one of the things we'd, we'd like to do. Now, Now, Paul was the greatest theologian and the greatest church planter of his time. In fact, he might be the greatest theologian and the greatest church planter of any age. The great, in fact, the greatest man of any age, second only to Jesus himself. And uh, really an amazing guy who, who turned the known world upside down. Uh, who, who planted, he was the first guy who, on big scale, a large scale, planted churches in areas where there was no Christian witness, no Christian church, no concept of Christianity, no history of Christianity whatsoever. Okay, so planting churches there compared to planting churches now, it's a lot easier actually now to plant churches than, than when Paul was doing it. But what we sometimes forget is that um, many of these churches that Paul planted flourished while he spent time in prison praying for them and writing letters to them. Okay? And, and Paul might be not only the greatest theologian of his time, but also the greatest prayer of his time. He prayed a lot. I mean, when he was in prison, you know, that to him was study leave and prayer time. <laughs> and he studied scripture and he prayed. That was what he did. He was like a serious guy. Um, and... Um, just imagine what it would have been like to pray with Paul. Just imagine, just close your eyes for a moment and imagine you were going into some other Roman prison because in those days if your friends didn't take your food in prison, you starved a bit. <laughs> you didn't get much food. You got a bit of water and a little bit of food, but it wasn't enough. So imagine you were one of Paul's friends and you were bringing him food. You were walking into that dank prison, into that dungeon, and it's dark and it's wet. And even as you sort of, you know, the, the gates are creaking open, you're going in, you hear the prayer. You hear it echoing down the corridors. You hear Paul's voice booming. And you come in there and he's chained between two guards. And Timothy's sitting there next to him and he's, he's hoying. <laughs> he's praying. And he's praying for one of his churches and the tears are streaming down his eyes as he's agonizing for them. 
Imagine what it would have been like to learn, to pray with Paul and to learn from Paul. Well, at least to some extent, we can actually learn from Paul and, and pray with Paul in his letters, because quite a few of his prayers are actually contained in his letters. So <clears throat> we're just going to look at that um, for the next um, few weeks, uh, just this one of, of Paul's prayers. And it's actually a short prayer, but we learn so much uh, from it. So let's read Second Thessalonians, uh, Thessalonians 1 from uh, verse 1 to verse 12. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more and your love and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his mighty, with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shout out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people, his saints. And to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. And that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. And your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Father, we just thank you for your word and, and we pray, Lord, that you'll encourage us and instruct us from your word this morning, Lord. We just open up our hearts and, and we recognize, Lord, that this is not just the words that Paul wrote, Lord God, but these are words, Holy Spirit, that you inspired Thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that lives in our hearts, that you also live in these words, and that these Spirit-breathed words can touch and inspire our Spirit-breathed hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> I just want to focus on the first couple of verses. If you, if you look at that... Um, that passage, the prayer proper, Paul's actual prayer, or his report of his prayer for the, for the Thessalonian Christians, only starts in verse 11. He says, with this in mind, I pray always for the following. So his prayer proper only starts in verse 11. But it starts with that phrase, with this in mind, or um, un, um, unto this end, if you look at the ESV, for instance. And, and what precedes it, in other words, he's referring to that. He says, with this, what precedes it in mind. And actually, verse 3 to 10 in the Greek is, 
you know, typical, in typical Pauline style, it's one sentence. <laughs> one long sentence in the Greek. So he's talking about the previous sentence in, uh, you know, verse 3 to 10. He says, with this in mind, I pray. And <clears throat> here's the thing. Um, verse 3 to 10 gives us the framework from which Paul prays. It gives us the thinking and the attitude from which Paul prays. And if we want to be able to pray like Paul, we need to learn to think like Paul. If we want our prayers to be like Paul's prayers, then we need our attitudes to be like Paul's attitudes. Okay? So we're going to look at that a little bit. And the first attitude that Paul clearly says, he says, we ought always to give thanks. We ought always to thank God for you. Thankfulness. Is, is, is a big part of, of Paul's um, praying. And, and, and one of the things I, I want to show you, or sort of a summary of what I want to show you from this text this morning, is that an attitude of gratitude is possible in any circumstances, and it will benefit not only your prayer life, but every part of your life. Okay, an attitude of gratitude is possible in any circumstances. And it will affect not only your prayer life, but all of your life. It will improve all of your life. So, first thing he says in that first sentence, he says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. So, what he says there, four things. Firstly, he says, our, our thankfulness ultimately is always upwards. Our ultimate thankfulness, our ultimate thanksgiving is always upwards towards God. Okay? Think about this for a moment. Just think about this for a moment. If, if you are thankful to someone else for giving something to you, they are only giving you what they first received from God. So ultimately, whatever they are giving you, it's actually just coming to you through them, from God. Whether it's a good deed, whether it's an act of service towards you, an act of love, whether it's something physical or, or even something um, abstract that they're giving you, whether it's love that they're giving you, whether it's encouragement that they give you, whatever they're giving you, they first receive it from God. And whatever gives them the ability to give it comes from God as well. So ultimately, everything we have comes from God. And our ultimate thankfulness is towards God, first and foremost. Um, C.S. Lewis says, I'm paraphrasing him now, but he says, the worst moment for an atheist is when, he's, um, when he is thankful and has no one to be thankful to. <laughs> okay? So, but remember, he's saying this as someone who was himself an ex-atheist. So he was raised in the, in the Anglican church, the, the Church of England, and when he was, I, I can't remember exactly what age, but I think it was around his young teenage years, he actually became, he rejected the faith and became an atheist. And he, and he continued to be an atheist throughout his high school career, into university, all his university studies. And even while he was a professor at Oxford, at the beginning of his, of his uh, you know, career as a professor at Oxford, he was an atheist who didn't believe in God, who rejected God. But he was a, if you read his stuff, he was an incredibly intelligent man. He was a genius. And he's thought about these things, and, and, and to his credit, he thought about them very honestly and very thoroughly, and he actually thought himself out of atheism and into Christianity. <laughs> and he's, he actually jokes, he says, um, you know, when he converted, the morning he converted, he was the most reluctant convert in all of England. <laughs> he, he didn't really want there to be a God, but, but he... he 
after considering the evidence, he had to admit there must be a God. And so he's speaking as someone who spent many years, even decades, as an atheist. And he says, the worst moment for an atheist is when he is thankful and has no one to be thankful to. And we don't have that problem as Christians. When we're thankful, we definitely have someone to be thankful to. We can be thankful to God. Um, And then he says, not only that it's to God that we must be thankful, but he says, we ought always to thank God. We ought. The Greek is even stronger. It talks there about an obligation, a duty. It talks about something that we owe towards God. Thankfulness and thanksgiving, <clears throat> in other words, is not, it's not optional. It's obligatory. It's an obligation. It's something we owe God. We owe Him a debt of honor, of, of thanksgiving. We owe Him a debt of gratitude. We, we, we don't often think and, and realize what God has done for us and what God has given us. God created us. All the talents we have come from God. All the abilities we have come from God. All the opportunities we have come, come from God. All the relationships we have come from God. All the revelation and understanding we have come from God. All the joy and happiness we have ultimately comes from God. Everything good comes from God. Everything bad is often just something that good that has come from God that has been perverted and twisted somewhere along the line. Think about this for a moment. If God never did anything good for you throughout the rest of your life, you would still owe him an unpayable debt of gratitude. If God never, ever did anything good for you again, you would still owe him an unpayable debt of thanks. Because he created you, and if you're a Christian, he recreated you in the image of his son. So we ought to give thanks. Uh, Romans 1 verse 21, Paul says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their their foolish hearts were darkened. So Paul says here, you know, one of the indictments of us as human beings is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because we don't glorify God, we don't thank Him. That is the crux of our sin, is our lack of glory towards God, our lack of thankfulness towards God. That that is the crux of what's wrong with this world, according to Paul. We ought to give thanks to God. We ought to be thankful. And he goes on and he says that lack of thankfulness um, is basically a result of foolish and futile thinking. We need to change our thinking. And I trust God that that we will, um, you know, Continue to change our thinking in, in, that, direction, in that direction. So, so thankfulness towards God is not optional. It's an obligation. And here's the thing. We can all do it. It's an obligation each of us can fulfill. I love what A.W. Tozer says. He says, gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God. And it is one that the poorest of us can make and be not poorer but richer for having made it. Isn't that beautiful? We read it again. Gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God. And it is one that the poorest of us can make and not be poorer but richer for having made it. Then he says we ought always to thank God. In other words, thankfulness should be constant. 
consistent. Um, <clears throat> thankfulness, in other words, should not be just an occasional gesture towards God. It should be a constant posture towards God. Our thankfulness, if we think right about thankfulness, if we think right about our lives and about God and what He has given us and what He has done for us and what He has done for the people around us, then, then our thanksgiving will not be just an occasional gesture of thankfulness to God when we worship Him, when we, when we pray and say thank. It'll be a consistent, a constant posture towards God. Everything that we do will be colored by our thankfulness. We ought always to thank God. And, and some things like humility and thankfulness um, should be a constant part of our prayer life. And, and obviously, if you're thankful, then you're going to be humble as well. Then you get, in fact, I don't know of anything that will make sure that you have the right posture to pray well and even to live well. I don't think there's anything better than thankfulness to make sure that you have that right posture. Because it includes, you cannot really be thankful unless you're humble. People who are not humble usually aren't very thankful either. So all of those good things flow out of a posture of thankfulness and gratitude to the Lord. And then um, the fourth thing is, um, you know, thankfulness is not just upwards towards God. It's not just an, an obligation. It's not just a necessity. Uh, it's not just, uh, it should not just be something that's constant, but it's also appropriate. He says, and rightly so. We should give thanks to God always for you, and rightly so. In other words, it's appropriate in all circumstances. When you look at the Th uh, Thessalonians Christians, their circumstances, he says, you know, you're experiencing persecutions and trials, and yet you're steadfast, and you, your faith and your steadfastness, uh, despite the persecutions and trials you're enduring, is, is something we boast about. And what's they going through circumstances in which it's According to this world, it would be hard to see anything to be thankful for. And yet Paul says, it is right, it is proper, it is fitting, it's appropriate that we give thanks for you. And in fact, in the rest of the letter, he actually corrects a few wrong things that they believe. So they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And yet he says, it's appropriate, it's right, it's fitting that we give thanks for you. <clears throat> even though you're not perfect, and even though your circumstances are far from perfect, it's right that we give thanks for you. In other words, um, any circumstance is a circumstance in which it is right to give thanks for, no matter how difficult or how bad it looks. Think about this. Uh, there's this old sort of cliched saying, um, anything that comes into your life, any, every circumstance can either make you bitter or better, depending on your response. But think about this. Every, circumstances, every circumstance is allowed by God in your life to make you better. It's only by missing what God has put in that circumstance and by responding inappropriately, wrongly, that you'll become bitter. But the circumstance, no matter how difficult it is, no matter whether it includes persecution, people giving you a hard time, and even killing. I mean, they were killing the Thessalonians. They were persecuting them terribly, throwing them in prison. Where, or whether it includes general trials, just hardship of any kind. Whatever your circumstances, it contains what God knows you need now to become better. And therefore, you can thank Him for it. 
So um, not every prayer has to start with thanksgiving. I mean, um, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, we enter his gates with thanksgiving. But I think most prayers should start with thanksgiving. It's, it's not, I, I've heard some people say, you know, you're not allowed to pray unless you started with thanksgiving. I don't think that's exactly right. I mean, Psalm 100 is not the only uh, psalm. I mean, there, there, are, there are 150 psalms recorded in, in, in the Bible, and some of them don't start with thanksgiving. So sometimes it's okay to not start with thanksgiving. But thanksgiving is the most appropriate posture to pray from. And hopefully, if you don't start in thanksgiving, ultimately, if you pray long enough, you'll end in prayer and thanksgiving. I think the Psalms uh, show us that much. <clears throat> okay, so here's just on my first point, here's my question to you. Is thankfulness an occasional gesture in your life? Or is the constant posture of your life? Okay, thankfulness is upwards. But thankfulness also is... is primarily should be for what happens inwards, for growth that happens inward. Notice what Paul gives thanks for. He says, for basically for their growing faith and their growing love despite or in, in the midst of persecution. Uh, one of the things we learn from Paul's many written prayers is the priority of the inner life. If you go and read Paul's prayers, not only the one, ones in Second Thessalonians, but the one in all of his letters, it's interesting, he never prays for his converts' external circumstances. Never, not once. Now, let me just qualify that and say, that doesn't mean it's wrong to pray for your external circumstances. Please don't, don't think I'm saying that. And please don't think Paul is saying that. In fact, later in this letter, he says in, in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 2, he says, and pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people, for not everyone has faith. So he himself says, you know, pray for us for our circumstances to change. And Jesus says, he teaches us as his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And that includes material provision. So it's, it's by no means wrong to pray for external circumstances and for material provision and that kind of thing. But Paul prays primarily, and, and in fact in his letters exclusively, for the inner life of his disciples. Why? Because of the priority of the inner life. The inner life is more important than the uh, outer life. Your in, what's going on inside of you is more important than what's going on outside of you. Think about it just practically for a moment. If, if, if things on the inside in your inner life are in order, you'll be okay, even if things on the outside are not in order. But if things on the inside are not in order, then you will not be okay, even if things on the outside are in order. So, if it's going well on the inside, then you're going to be okay, even if it's not going well on the outside. But if it's not going well on the inside, then you're not going to be okay, even if it is going well on the outside. We know that. We know that. Just practically, the inner life takes priority. Um, and that's why Paul gives thanks for in, things on the inner life, and he prays for things regarding the inner life primarily. And I believe our prayers for ourselves and for one another should honor the priority of the inner life. But does it? Do your prayers reveal the priority of the inner life? D.A. Carson, Don Carson says it this way. I'm going to read it for you. He says, The unvarnished truth is that we most frequently give thanks. Sorry. The unvarnished truth is that what we most frequently give thanks for 
betrays what we most highly value. If a large percentage of our thanksgiving is for material prosperity, it is because we value material prosperity proportionately. What you give thanks for most frequently reveals what you value most highly. What does your thanksgiving reveal about what you value most highly? I think that's a bit of a convicting question. It's convicting for me. I mean, if, it, if we just think about it, <clears throat> you know what? What do... Um, What do, what, do, what do most parents give thanks for, for their children? If, if you ask most parents, you know, about their children, what would they say? You know, how's it going with your children? What, what would they report on? Would they report on their faith and their love? Or would they report on, oh, they're doing so well in their education, you know, they're getting a great education. Or they're so well behaved, or they, they, they're getting, you know, this, they got this reward at school. Or they're, they're healthy, you know. Um, you know, would, would they report on... on um, you know, the opportunities, you know, they got a new job or, you know, they're being so successful. The reality is our default position as human beings is to value the external, temporary things above the internal, eternal things. That's our default position as human beings. Not so for Paul. He gives thanks for growing faith and growing love. He says, your faith, I thank, it's, it's right that I give thanks God to, uh, to, th- to God for you, for your faith is growing more and more. And, and the, the translators of the NIV are struggling. There's, there's not that phrase, your faith, growing more and more, is, is actually one word in the Greek. But it's a word that's difficult to translate. It's a word that only appears this once in the New Testament. It, it's the word for grow, but in front of grow, he put the, word, the, the preposition hooper, where we get hyper. So he says, your faith is hyper-growing. <laughs> you have a hyper-growing faith. And um, Paul says for that, um, I'm, I'm thankful. Uh, your, your faith is, is growing uh, incredibly. In, uh, all of us, our faith is our dependence on God, our trust in God, our reliance upon God. And all of us have room for not only growth, but hyper-growth in our faith. All of us have. I mean, <clears throat> I think this lockdown just, for many of us, revealed the room, or some of the room we have for growth in our faith. I, I, at some stage, you know, when the sort of initial excitement and hustle-bustle of the, of the lockdown sort of got over, you know, after about a month or two, I, I got it, I, I, I really started to struggle a bit with anxiety and fear. Um, and, and I realized it was because of the uncertainty and everything was just disrupted, you know, everything was different and uncertain, didn't know what was going on. And, and I, I couldn't see you guys. I didn't, I didn't know how you were doing, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't have that, you know, twice on a Sunday, just snapshot of people, not only just listening to the word, but worshiping. And, and it, it's amazing what you can tell from, from how people worship and, and interacting with one another. And you can see, okay, so-and-so is not okay, but but these small group, they're praying for him. They, they, they're in the corner, they're laying hands on him, they're praying for him. Or, you know, look at her. She, I, I know she's going through a hard time, but wow, look at her worship. You know, the Lord's really speaking to her. The Lord's really ministering to her. And, and I didn't have that. I started becoming anxious and fearful. And I realized that it was because I didn't have enough faith in God. <clears throat> As an under-shepherd, I needed more 
faith and trust in the chief shepherd who could be there for his sheep, not my sheep, his sheep, when I as an under-shepherd couldn't be there. And I needed to learn to trust in him more. I needed to, I, the, the lockdown just revealed that I had a lot of room to grow in my trust, in my faith. And I think he did for all of us in different ways. And I think the way that we responded to the lockdown so far has revealed we've either responded in fear, in growing fear, or in growing faith. And if you've been responding in growing fear, um, two weeks ago, Lauren preached about that. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. He gave us a spirit of faith. We need to respond in faith, in God, not in fear. And if we don't respond in faith, that vacuum that is created will create space for fear to grow in our lives. So you either have a growing faith or a growing fear in your life. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Um, then he says, the love, agape love, all of you have for one another is increasing. And, and just notice there, I mean, this is clearly God's work. It must be God's work. Because he doesn't say, you know, some of you are really great at this love thing. Because that's what you typically find in most churches, you know. You get these pockets of, like, love and, and real, you know, sacrificial love and affection. But he says the love, um, let me just read that phrase. The love, or the agape love, all of you have for one another is increasing. Not only do you have love, but that love is growing. And it's not just some of you that have the love. All of you have this love for one another. I mean, if that's not revival, I don't know what revival is. And what, he, what he's saying here, and he's saying it to the Thessalonians. I mean, that was the, Thessalonica was probably the second or third largest city in the known world at that time. Very metropolitan, a lot like Joburg. A lot of diversity in it is you as a Thessalonian church, full of people who are different from one another, from different cultural backgrounds, each of you, all of you, are loving one another. That is revival. Can we, who are so different from one another here in Joburg, such a diversity, do we only love people who are like us? Or can we love each other? All of us love each other. The way the Thessalonians. If God can do it for the Thessalonians, He can do it for us as well. So, do we, um, both of these, the hyper growing faith and our deeper dependence on God and the pervasive love, deeper dependence on community, are works of God, signs of grace uh, that lead to thankfulness uh, to God. In other words, when Paul prays and gives thanks, he gives thanks primarily for signs of grace, for what God is doing in people's lives. And if we have an eternal perspective, we're not just living for the here and now, but remember he goes on to talk about the return of the Lord Jesus when Jesus will be revealed, judgment day, and all of that. If we're living with that perspective, with that in mind, I'll say a bit more about that next time, then we will value the eternal, internal things more than the external temporary things that'll pass away um, then outward he talks about boasting to the other churches about them and 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 here maybe says we ought always to give thanks to god so um thankfulness has an upward um element towards god a, a growth element inwards but it leads to boasting outwards and and that boasting is not a, a vain boasting in itself it's not like paul was saying oh you know look at what an awesome church i've planted he wasn't boasting in himself. 
Neither was it like what we call fein brag, where he was saying, ooh, look at my awesome converts. <laughs> and they're so awesome because I'm so awesome, actually. <laughs> he was saying, we give thanks to God because God is doing this. God is causing your faith to hyper-grow. And God is causing you, your love, all of your love for one another, to increase consistently. And in other words, he was saying, he was basically saying, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord is doing in their lives. He's boasting in God towards the churches. And he's using it to encourage them and say, but, but I know these Thessalonians. They're just plain, ordinary human beings just like you. And if God can do it in them, he can do it in you too. And his boasting is designed to encourage the other churches and to glorify God. Um, so... Note what he gives thanks for. He gives thanks for growing faith and love. Um, and it, those are things that he prayed for before. Let me just read for you in First Thessalonians, the, the letter before this. And he says, um, in First Thessalonians 3, verse 5 to 6, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that some, uh, in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Mentioning their faith and love. And then he, uh, just a few verses later in verse 12, 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 12, he says, May the Lord make your love increase. And he uses exactly the same words. And overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. So he prayed for it and God answered that prayer. And their, life, their faith was hyper-growing and their love was increasing the love of all of them was increasing. Um, you know, if, you, if you're in difficult circumstances, because he says this last thing, he, he, he talks about boasting about them, their steadfastness and faith despite persecution and trial, despite very difficult circumstances. If you're in difficult circumstances and you ask the question, why is this happening to me? You, you might not always get a, a good answer. But if you're in difficult circumstances and you ask the question, how can this make me grow? How can this help me grow? Or, what can I be thankful in these circumstances? You'll always get a good answer. You'll always get a good answer, an encouraging answer. So Paul um, uh, prayed for them in the beginning. He says, grace and peace to you from God the Father. Um, in, in other words, um, I have a suspicion here that the reason why the growth in their faith, why their faith was hyper-growing, and why the, the, the love of all of them was increasing. It, it wasn't growing despite the hardship and the persecution. I have a suspicion it was growing because of the hardship and the persecution. Remember what Paul says, you know, when you're not giving thanks in any circumstance because your thinking is futile and foolish. We need a paradigm shift to really embrace this posture, this constant posture of thankfulness towards the Lord. We need to think about our circumstances differently. And I just want to tell you, and I do this in closing, a little fable that I heard. It's, it's obviously just a, a little fairy tale kind of fable. Um, so no truth to it, but the lesson, except the lesson that it tries to, to teach. So the story goes like this. In fact, let me, let me just read it. Uh, an old man lost in the woods was tired from uh, a long day's journey, a long day's travel, when he came upon a pathway leading to an old house. The path was lined on both sides with beautiful stone statues, all different, but all lifelike and peaceful. He walked between the rows of statues towards the house. 
where a friendly old lady hmm, met him and offered him food and a bed to sleep in. Some of you can see where this is going. A young servant girl brought him his food and then went and made to, to make the bed that he would sleep in. It was the most comfortable bed he'd ever slept in. But when the sun rose, while he was still asleep, he turned to stone. He was still aware of what was happening around him when the old lady added him to her row of stone statues. Some days later, a young man, weary from his travels, passed the same way and came upon the same path lined with uh, the stone statues. He met the same old lady who offered him food and a bed. When the servant girl saw him, she fell in love with him and put stones and thorns under his sheets when she made to, uh, went to make the bed. He was so uncomfortable that he could hardly sleep and he rose early the next morning in a very bad mood. As he left the house, he insulted the servant girl who had made his bed uncomfortable. But she replied, The misery you know now only upsets you because you cannot compare it to the misery your comfort would have brought you. Don't you see that those were stones of love, thorns of compassion in your bed? I can ask the same thing to us. Don't you see... Those stones, those thorns, those things that make your life uncomfortable, those persecutions, those trials, those sufferings, those difficulties, can't you see that they're stones of love, that they're thorns of compassion? And the only reason we're often not thankful for them is because, like this, this young girl says, the misery you know now only upsets you because you cannot compare it to the misery your comfort would have brought you. God's discomfort, the persecutions he allows, the sufferings, the trials he allows, wake us up so that the devil cannot turn us to stone and kill us. Okay. I think we all need to undergo that paradigm shift that clearly Paul had. He said we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so. We ought always, in our prayers, also to give thanks to God. It's right. It's fitting. And the only way we can do it is we make that paradigm shift and realize that even the stones, even the thorns in our lives are stones of love, thorns of compassion. And that God is not working in our lives despite the hardship, but often through the very hardship. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace in our lives, Lord. And Lord, where your goodness and grace often come disguised as persecutions and trials, difficulties. Thank you, Lord, that we can recognize them. We pray that you'll help us to recognize them. Thank you, Lord, that this lockdown, Lord, difficult as it was, unpleasant as it was, Lord, that, that Lord, for, for most of us, it was part of your your stones of love, your thorns of compassion with which you, you lined up the, the comfortable bed with which the devil wanted to lull us into complacency and into petrification, into a state of living death. But thank you that you have woken us up. Thank you that you've made us uncomfortable so we can wake up again 
to the reality of you, to the reality of that we need you, that our faith in you needs to grow, to the reality that we need one another, that our love for one another, each of us, uh, our love for one another ought to grow, our dependence on community. Thank you that you've woken us up to these realities, Lord. And, and we pray, Lord God, that, that this thankfulness, this posture of thankfulness will become a permanent fixture in our prayer life and in every part of our life. That we'll live our lives like Paul out of a, a posture of thankfulness. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.